Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. The Incomparable, number 666, October 2023. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable, episode 666. It's true. (laughs) It it is spooky season, and we're doing it right with old Spooky Club. Old Spooky Club. For the 50th anniversary of The Exorcist, a movie I saw earlier today. Ooh, what is more scary <laughs> wow. than late, late homework when you're watching a scary movie in the daytime? Uh, lots of things are more scary than that. Let me introduce uh, my panel of people who may be possessed. They may be movie stars. They may be snide directors, or uh, may, they may be priests. We don't know. Dr. Drang is here. Hello. Oh, tonight I'm going by Captain Howdy. Okay, good. I have a Ouija board up for you. Uh, Steve Lutz is here, of course. Hello, Steve Lutz. Hello, Jason. I, tonight, am a priest who dreams of playing piano in heaven. Okay. To an adoring crowd. Mm, Sounds about right. Over there in the corner, it's Brian Hamilton. Hi, Brian. You like movies? I hate to go alone. I love to talk, film, discuss, to critique. You want to go see a film with me? Hmm. Yeah, sounds sounds real great. I've seen it. Uh, Tiff Armand joins us. Hello. Hi, it's pathological. (laughs) Sure, sure it is. Sure it is. Or it might be a lesion. We don't know. And Moises Chuyan is here. Hello. Your mother sets clocks in hell. Ah, the power of Brian compels us. The power of Brian compels us. You know... A lot of references that I understand better now, having watched The Exorcist. <laughs> I gotta say, a lot of oh, was they, this your first time? This is the first. Oh yeah, signature yes. SNL wow. sketches make a lot more sense. Oh yes, I watched it earlier today, and uh, the power of Christ compels you. Uh, as they repeated, I was like, "Oh, this is where it comes from." And more than that, and this is going to be something. One of my very favorite movies of all time, Ghostbusters. I'm like, oh. Oh, that's a, all a reference to The Exorcist. <laughs> Great. Well, a movie that came out 11 years before Ghostbusters. Yeah. They're making 11 year old references 50, and they were still fresh. And they were fresh for me because I got it today at 50 years old. The Exorcist 1973. Uh, or should I say it's uh, William Peter Blatty's The Exorcist. OK, well, it's I, it's uh, yeah. Friedkin's Blatty's The Exorcist, I think. Yes. Yes. It sounds like they had a dispute <laughs> I, I, over I have credits. A related, I have a related opening statement. Okay. Um, sure. We watched we watched the theatrical cut of this, and there is another cut that came out 30 years after the movie came out that that was effectively uh, Friedkin making peace with William Peter Blatty, who felt like various things needed to be a bit more didactic and a bit more underlined um, in, in a movie that 
had been a classic already for 30 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, it, it's interesting, I guess, from the perspective of, of the filmmaking process to watch the other cut. Um, but the, the theatrical version of it, uh, I'm very much team Friedkin, uh, who didn't think that they needed the additional stuff that got added in, in the quote unquote version you never saw, which now many people have seen I mean, accurately years later. It, it, I mean, what can you say about it? You didn't see it, but now you've seen it. The, um, no. yeah, the, a novelist writing a screenplay, um, you know, it could be risky, but then again, this is the uh, Godfather era, so you never know what might happen well, he here. He also had some screenwriting chops by that okay, point, too. Yeah. I think he had done Blake Edwards films, of all things. Hmm, sure. So, I can see that. A very different vibe in a Blake Edwards film, but... Uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah, a little bit, a little bit. So this movie, obviously, famous. Uh, I knew some of what I was going to see. Like, I knew there would be projectile vomiting, and I knew that somebody's head was going to spin around. Like, I got that part. But um, didn't know much more than that. As a kid, I always got this, or as a teenager, I guess, I always got this confused with The Omen, which it's not, because The Omen features a priest being impaled to death. Um, That doesn't happen here. Other things happen to priests in this one. Um, However, I was not prepared for the opening of this movie, in which we spend some quality time with Max von Sydow in Iraq, um, digging stuff up. Um, Every good movie starts with an excavation, right? (laughs) That is, hey. I mean, hey, it, it's hey, it, hold on. It's sort of saying, well, there's this, there's this guy out there, and he 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 knows that there's an evil force, and he, I, I guess, it it is for a movie that's two hours long. I thought the opening sequence was unnecessary, but it, it's fine. I think that the first half hour, forty minutes of this movie, for a two hour movie, I find it strangely paced because the first half hour, forty minutes, it's not like there's nothing in it. There are some very interesting character moments in it. It is sort of nothing that I expect from a movie called The Exorcist for about 30 or 40 minutes. And then it shifts gears and lots of things happen very quickly, which I thought was interesting because I could see I could see a modern version of this where essentially, you know, that first 30 or 40 minutes is almost collapsed entirely. But then we get in sort of the details of as her as as the mom played by Ellen Burstyn is trying to figure out what's going on with Linda Blair, her daughter, and um and go back and forth and back and forth and like is she sick or is she not sick? What's going on? How is she sick? Go to the doctor. And I was struck that like when we get to that point in the movie, it's fast. Like there are cuts where it's like obviously been weeks and they've had a bunch of different appointments and seen a bunch of doctors and like it moves really fast after moving very slow for quite a while. I'm not complaining so much, but I I was struck by how um, a 1973 movie, or at least this 1973 movie, chose to pace itself. I don't know if you all have thoughts about that. To the movie's credit, my favorite thing about this is that, even though we all know this is the film The Exorcist 1973, one of my least favorite things in movies is waiting for the characters in the movie to figure out what we already know. And this movie does a much more fascinating job. It's much more engaging to watch characters learn after an hour. Oh, God, is this really an exorcism situation? I really appreciate that about the movie. This reminds me actually a lot of when we discussed The Poseidon Adventure, which very much like this movie has 30 to 40 minutes of just nothing going on and and exclusively character development stuff. Uh, and I feel like it's just a it's just a product of its time. I mean, that's what you did. You, you they 
assumed that you needed 30 minutes of backstory on these characters uh, that slowly unfolds. Um, I personally don't. In fact, I, I <laughs> it's been probably about 25 years since I've seen this, and I completely forgot how slowly things start to, you know, how they go in that first 30 minutes. And, um, you know, a little shorthand, frankly, wouldn't hurt. Right. But again, I think that um, that comes a lot from William Peter Blatty and his novel in particular, where... yeah. Even though there was a lot of, you know, the the exorcism itself, um, really, it was more an examination. Blatty himself was a was a devout Catholic. Um, it was really more an examination of, you know, Karis's journey, uh, regaining his faith. Um, Chris mm -hmm. McNeil maybe potentially getting some, uh, and so I think it's more of a holdover from that than anything else. Along with the fact that that's just how things were done at the time. There's nothing more novel like in this whole thing than that that opening in Iraq. Because that feels like a prologue, right? It's literally like, I'm setting the scene, man. I'm setting the scene about, you know, ancient times and ancient evils and, and, and our exorcist is there and we don't know it yet. And like, and again, I don't think any of it's bad, but, but you're right, Steve. I, I think I could have used a little more shorthand, but I don't mind getting to know this priest and getting to know the, the woman who's an actress and is in a movie and she's got her kid and she's in this house with these servants. And like, I don't, I don't mind it. It's just funny because... It's like it, it just is happy to take its time until things go down and then. Woo, <laughs> woo. Wow. I've noticed that in thinking about the movie, I attribute the things I don't like about it to Blatty and the things I do like about it to Friedkin. I don't think that's fair, but it's how I've been Probably approaching not. it. I, I think, yeah, the Iraq stuff I thought was too much. And I, I really don't remember. I did read the book, but I read it when I was, I don't know, 18 years old or something like that. And. The part about Karis's crisis of faith is very strong in the book, and so it makes sense that, it, especially when the author is a producer of the movie, that that's going to be in the movie uh, a lot. But I really don't remember uh, Father, what's his name, Marin, Marin, Marin. Yeah, uh, I don't remember the book having much stuff about Father Marin in Iraq and doing things. I it just I. I remember a lot about Karis, but not so much about Marin from the book. In 1973, everybody knew who was going into the theater knew what this movie was about. And nobody came into this movie uh, with, with, uh, without preconceptions because it was extraordinarily famous. Everybody, you know, there were stories about it all the time, people fainting, people throwing up in the movies. Mostly from uh, the medical scenes. Well, yeah, everything. Yeah, those are the and, worst. Oh, yeah. No. I, mean, it was a, I, I was in junior high at the time, and this was like topic A among all of us, right? Now, none of us had seen the movie. Now, there were, there were boys who said that they saw the movie, but when I finally saw the movie, um, I realized, oh, they were lying because they would not have been talking about the throwing up. They would not have been talking about the head spinning around. They would have been talking about certain other things mm -hmm. uh, that happened in this movie if you're 13 years old. Uh, so, but everybody knew what was going, and so you're really kind of, I think, uh, thrown for a loop when it starts in the desert. Yeah, and it and it goes on. I mean, I think it's it's kind of cool the part where uh, where Marin is in the room and he's looking, he sees the medallion, and the clock stops. And it's sort of, you know, it's a little bit of foreshadowing. We see the clock later on, God knows why. 
But anyway, there it is. So in Karis's it's nice. dream. Oh, and, and then and then the uh, and then the statue of whatever the hell demon thing mm -hmm. Azuzu that is. Yeah. Wow. Um, it, Only in future it, it movies, could, not named in this movie, and therefore not whatever. Yeah, it ju he just shows it, it. It shows up, you know, what, what in in almost a subliminal uh, cut uh, later on in the movie. So it that could have been cut down a little bit. Yeah, I think the rock stuff is very effective in setting a mood. Um, it's it does feel like it's sort of strapped on and bolted on in some weird angle, just to just to just to give us some sort of an introduction to Marin. Because he doesn't show up again until yeah, he's, uh, 20 he's gone minutes for like left an in the hour. Movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Even longer than that. I mean, he, he, he returns for the exorcism, which I think it, there's 30 minutes left in the movie at that point. So, yeah, I mean, you got to introduce him somehow. And I guess you could do it another way. But it's I, I do find it very effective. I just think it's odd. I think mm -hmm. it's I think it's good that that it's done and that we introduce him because otherwise it would be really weird for him to suddenly show up. Right. Um, but but, you know, like him walking through the market. He takes a long. Yeah. I know he's old, yeah. but man, giving he the takes impression a long that Iraq is a land that consists mainly of people hitting metal things with hammers. <laughs> well, yes, yes. But I mean, and, and if I were walking through the place with with uh, you know the the very loud metal hitting, I would move a little faster, so I could clear <laughs> my head. The interesting thing here, I think, the most striking thing here is that Max, Max von Sydow here is forty four years old. <laughs> But he comes across as about 144. He's an old man, 44-year-old old, old <laughs> 44? man. 44? Yep. Oh, yeah. no. Yep. I'm aging really well, is what I learned tonight. Um, the, the, Iraq, the Iraq opening, uh, my undergraduate degree field is anthropology, so I'm, I'm glad to see uh, actual, uh, you know, archaeology, anthropology work being done, unlike what I see in Indiana Jones movies, which are treasure hunter antiquarian movies. Um, that's one of the things I like about it personally. Um, I, I think the vibe that it sets with there being an ancient world and and things um, where it just it, it breathes a little bit. It's a different pace of a different kind of filmmaking of a different time. They don't make movies like this anymore. Um, but I think, uh, you know, to, to what Jason mentioned about the pace picking up, once the pace picks up, I, I, I in the various times that I've seen the movie, I've never felt like. I, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't want, uh, a, a little bit of time to get, you know, acclimated into the movie. Um, you know, I didn't need this to be 80 minutes long. Um, I, I think that it breathing early on and then just moving, 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 moving later once it, once it gets going, um, works really well. And, uh, and, you know, it, it doesn't hurt that the, the cinematography is beautiful. Um, mm -hmm. and you're getting to see a completely different environment than, the you know uh suburban cityscape that that you're locked into for the rest of the story and it's you know to to have that in addition to the bits of stuff that we see in church um settings uh gives us a bit more of the atmosphere that i think is what um overall sells the the world of the supernatural of this movie which people classify as a horror movie and it does have horrifying stuff and it does have scary stuff with, uh, with that. Um, but I would posit that this is actually a heist movie and this <laughs> opening sequence is part of what sets that up. And are we heisting the devil? Yes, we are heisting the devil in this movie. And if you think about it, it totally works. Mm -hmm. Tiff, did you, what, how'd the pacing work for you? That, that first slow or if not slow sort of feels like not a lot of eventfulness in the first half hour. And then it just kind of, takes off i mean i feel like they spent so much time like 
pulling all the little pieces out of the box and like setting them up. And they're like, okay, we're going to have this side. We're going to have this side of the puzzle and this side of the puzzle and this side. And then like they only put together the middle, you know, like they left all the other pieces Mm -hmm. just kind of floating around out there and they didn't actually finish it all. Like I just, I feel like they spent a lot of time in the beginning um, with something that doesn't really come back around very clearly. And so I wish they spent some more time maybe connecting this girl to everything, maybe a little bit more time on like Karis's mom. Like, I, I don't know. I just feel like if we're wanting to do some rich character development, like let's get in with the main characters as opposed to the exorcist who shows up, you know, 30 minutes at the end of the film right. and then ends up dying like <laughs> 10 minutes into his exorcism. And so like, you know, it's just, uh, I think we spent a lot of time over there in the desert with some statues and everything. And (laughs) it was, it was, yeah, it was just, it it was creating a whole atmosphere that then we abandoned and we're like, okay, so this was nice, but now over here in Georgetown. um, I also thought it was interesting that they say, oh yeah, well he did a real exorcism in Africa. And uh, that's the real exorcism from Africa. Like why did we (laughs) Yeah. We should have, we should have seen that instead to get to know him. Like that would have been great. We would have opened with an exorcism. Hence the Exorcist, yeah. and then we would have been like, "Hey, that guy's probably the Exorcist." It's in um, it's in the sequel, I think. But it, I mean, it, it was a weird thing. Too. Part of the reason for for doing what they did is that I mean, it it would be interesting to see the the African exorcism. But I think what we're really trying to establish here is that Marin's pretty jacked up <laughs> from from his previous experiences. I mean, he's he's supposed to seem real decrepit, and uh, and later they make that when when they're discussing who should actually perform the exorcism. Um, the guy actually says, yeah, that thing in Africa damn near killed him right? Uh, because it took, you know, weeks. And I think that's really the, the idea we're supposed to get here is that, you know, he's, he's out doing all this archeology span stuff, but really he's, he's very feeble and he's um, hiding from whatever he was doing yeah. before. And yeah, I think that's, that's true. Yeah. It's, it's hard to have Max von Sydow as, as feeble though. He's a very commanding presence, and he mm-hmm. has to be in the in the final scenes. You know, mm-hmm. during the exorcism, I th- you know, I think what we get though is you know the wonderful pills that we see in movies, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> the, the pills that were once once swallowed and have an immediate Curiously effect. strong pills, nitroglycerin <laughs> pills, yeah, is what that is basically. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill patio sunset hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. So another thing I want to talk about about this film that is in the middle portion where we have, we meet our characters and Ellen Burstyn is the mom and Linda Blair is the daughter and mom's, she's a famous actress and she's shooting a movie and all of that, but she's having these problems with her daughter. And what I did not expect to get in the middle of this movie is a, and we, we will, we should talk about the, the priest and his uh, losing and finding his faith. Nothing's going to make you retain your faith, I guess, than an actual demonic possession, but about, 
medicine. We talked about the scene where she has the imaging done, where they like have to have to stick the thing in her, and the blood is shooting out, and all of that. And that's just the the medical stuff. That's the the bloodiest. I was like, oh, this movie is bloody, but it's all doctors doing it. But like, I think the medicine. If you part, think modern day MRAs suck, man, did yeah, they suck fifty yeah, years ago? Yeah. So what I really think is amazing is that this is also a movie about trying to diagnose an illness and a parent trying to deal with the horrible illness that their child has. Cause I, I mean, in the end she's possessed by a demon. Okay. But like, there's a long time where it's seeing a doctor, the doctors first off are like, no, 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 no. Um, let's not go to a psychiatrist. Let's go through all the, like, cause the, the, the doctors don't believe that there you should go to it's in your head. They believe it's like, let's do imaging and there's going to be a lesion on the brain. They're very focused on the medical part of it. And then it finally doesn't work. And they say, okay, now let's go to the psychiatrist. Um, there is a scene that I thought was amazing where Ellen Burstyn is in a room with a bunch of doctors and the doctors are sort of like lifting, lifting off, off all these other things that they've tried or that could be. And she is giving it back to them. And it's very clear that she has spent so much time talking to doctors and learning about what might be happening to her daughter that she has become the kind of archetypal parent who maybe knows more about their child's case than any of the doctors who are treating the child. I thought that was really interesting. That is also the scene where they finally say, all right, we give up. How about an exorcist? which is also kind of fascinating. And then, of course, there's the whole other level here, which is up until the point where it's actually a demonic possession. Um, and, and, and the priest makes this point, like, it's also about mental health. It's also about how people with mental health problems are treated, um, because that's essentially what they're going through the steps of here uh, until the... And the priest, when he gets called in, he's like, look, 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 this is going to be uh, a psychological issue. And then he goes in the room and he's like, oh, no, it's not. But anyway, he I still want to think it's a psychological stuff. issue yeah. for a real long time. Though. For a long time. But and he's trained that way. And, and that's all that dovetails with him. Like, what do you believe and what do you not? He's been trained by the church to do science and medicine, which is an interesting thing to do. But like, I just was fascinated by the whole part of the movie I didn't expect, including that that amazing scene where the blood is shooting out of her as they're doing the diagnostic and all of that. Uh, that it, it's also just about a parent trying to figure out what is wrong with their sick child and being kind of let down by the doctors and the whole medical industrial complex. I, I, I wasn't expecting that. I think in addition to the, like the horribleness of the medical stuff, it's just like it keeps coming up negative, which is incredibly yeah. frustrating, but also like in extremely traumatic because it's like all of these tests that then, you know, the kid is getting put through and the mother is watching her kid get put through, like it's coming up with absolutely nothing. So it feels almost um, like a, a just it's just it's n it's not happening. And that ends up becoming more frustrating that you're not seeing right. any results so it becomes even more torturous and that's what freaks me out the most about it i think yeah that's a horrible experience that i think pretty much everybody has experienced at some point is you know having something that's wrong and not having it show up on you know any tests or not be diagnosed properly just not knowing what the heck it is and i think one of the most effective things in ellen burston's character development is to watch her deteriorate in a way that you know you would in that situation because she gets yep. she gets almost just as bad as Regan does by the end. <laughs> yeah, it's all just so superfluous. It's just like it it ugh, 
that's what well, freaks me out the most. It's also, don't forget the other thing that happens that I think a lot of us have probably experienced, which is the um, somebody in a position of authority, a doctor, an expert, tell tells you something or you say this is happening and they say no it's not or they say oh i have a simple explanation for a thing that you you have to reject because it doesn't make sense and in this case it's literally like how did my daughter fly up how did the bed fly up off the ground and they're like well it was a muscle spasm and she's (laughs) like no "No, (laughs) that's not possible but the doctors are like no 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 that's what it is and and they're essentially gaslighting her at that point right and that that is an incredibly frustrating moment of sort of like she knows more about her kid than they do and they're not listening that the true horror is the medicine is what i'm saying and it's not just that this is any parent trying to care for their kid and go through the medical industrial system this is someone with the resources of a hollywood star that exhausts right? every single option that she has from an actual scientific medical perspective and i think one of the best things about the way that the movie is paced you know going back to pacing is that as soon as she really starts to be completely broken down by the medical system and the doctor uh, suggests exorcism is when we start to see Reagan's head twist around a right. chair fly the uh, armoire armoire. Thank you. I literally could think <laughs> flying towards <laughs> Ellen Burstein. And that is when she finally goes to talk to Father Karras. And I appreciate that. This is, you know, so far in the movie that we as the audience are also on her side through that whole journey. Uh, one big question, though, like, why do we keep putting her into the demon room and on the bed that's shaking? Like, I don't know. Like, that was the whole thing. It's like, well, let's try moving her room a little bit. Maybe <laughs> that might be the problem. I don't know. I was just a little freaked out by that. No, I mean, they keep putting her back. She's like, my bed is shaking. And they're like, well, get back in bed, honey. You're going to be fine. And it's, my bed is shaking. It's shaking. Mm. It's no spasm. Yeah, you notice when she, get back when in she gets in with mom and sleeps with her, the bed doesn't shake in there. And yet right. they send her right back exactly crazy they didn't it's the room it was the room the whole time it's funny jason that uh, watching this again um for the first time in forever i I had the same sort of view initially uh, uh of the whole medical establishment in here as you did which is you know of course i know that it's a demon possession uh and the guy is is suggesting first nerves he puts her on ritalin and then at some point he puts her on thorazine instead uh and then they try the multiple different scans that look like they're both incredibly painful and and traumatic um you know and then they go to the shrink and that whole thing and i you know i found myself being annoyed and and just irritated with the the doctors the whole time but the more i thought about it the more i thought you know well this is all very reasonable what they're doing, given mm-hmm. given the level of of, uh, of medical knowledge they have. Uh, you know, they they don't jump to any particular conclusions. They're just like, yeah, this is the symptoms here match a, a nerve disorder, and then you know later the symptoms match a lesion. So that's what we're going to try. And, and the whole thing where um, what is it that she she says that he he sort of dismisses that you were just mentioning. Oh, the, the bed going up and down, and he says it's a spasm, oh, yeah, yeah, muscle yeah. spasm. <laughs> the, yeah, the magic yeah. hands demon bed. When you, hear, when you hear that from uh, from a distraught mother who's concerned about her kid, you're not going to assume that the bed was actually shaking. You're going to assume that she overreacted to it in some well, way. Well, lady, maybe you were seeing things. Uh, can we consider that, maybe? Right, because we know, we know that it's the exorcist, so it's going to be a demonic possession. But yeah, it's it's the idea of that frustration of like... I'm not getting the answers. And the doctors are so right. blasé at the beginning where they're like, yeah, we'll do a skit. It's a lesion. Right. Don't worry about it. It's like, you're lucky. And he, they don't actually know. They don't know. One thing know. that you do gain from the director's cut, which I actually watched for the first time uh, the last couple of days, because that happened to be the only DVD that was available at the time that I was buying this movie. Um, 
is is you do get an, an additional longer scene with the doctor early on and he's actually seen as very uh compassionate in that scene and and understanding and um and later on actually when she's being subjected to the you know the horrible torture of the cerebral angiography um you know all of the people there setting her up are very calm and very you know they're, they're all very compassionate seeming and uh, so as frustrating as it is coming from it from from chris mcneil's viewpoint i i can't indict them in any way over uh you know just doing their job as best they can and i i don't see any sort of cruelty or or dismissiveness no, there other than it's the it's the, well there there is some but i think it's more a limit of the imagination and the idea that the problem with the doctors is that they think that it's a medical problem, a physical problem with a physical solution, which I think is something that doctors often yeah, have do. Yeah, you met a doctor before? <laughs> and and then they're like and then they're like, "Okay, no, 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 don't go to the psychiatrist. We can fix this. We can fix this. It's not a mental problem, it's a physical problem." Like, "Okay, guys." And then they go to the psychiatrist and then and then the, then they're like, "Well, we don't know what it is." And and it does ultimately lead to, "How about an exorcism?" I mean, they're not real. They're not real, but they might think they were real. And that's even right. then they're kind of like trying to And I love to, that too. Yeah. Yeah, the fact that even though they suggest it quite reasonably, they're suggesting it for for psychological reasons, you know. Right. That, but she that does end understand. up in, in a in the that one scene where I feel like they're not bad they're just like they're all trying to figure this out but she the mom at that point seems to have you know she knows everything about her child's condition and is the the motivated person in the room and and that she's obviously been doing because the movie cuts through this progress so long you could do a whole movie where it was just the frustration of the medical part and that's not what this movie is that interested in but like you can tell she has been through it she has heard every story she's written it all down and and she's obviously deeply dissatisfied with her daughter's treatment because they haven't fixed it. And, and I, I just, that really, I wasn't expecting it, but it's pretty powerful. On the, the dichotomy we haven't gotten into much is we've got Karis's mother in parallel to this, where in both cases, you know, conventional science, either they don't have answers or look, these are the answers that we have. And I mean, without going too deep into the novel that I didn't read, that is very Catholic and all about <laughs> salvation themes and stuff, um, you know, th there is there is Karis trying to save his mother and Chris trying to save her daughter and both of them lacking the physical, spiritual, psychiatric tools that uh, in both of their cases, they, they don't know if they do exist. They don't know if there is a solution, if there is a better thing than constantly having nightmares and not being able to focus on anything other than feeling hopeless. And um, it had been a while since I'd seen this. And and I think that the, the medical scenes um, with Reagan are one thing, but the caring for an aging parent uh, mm -hmm. thing um, hit me uh, for various reasons a lot harder than I think it ever had, um, and it's it's one of the reasons that I think I think this movie holds up so well, and um, and and I feel it stands alone really nicely in, in a way that it, it's it's perfectly fine to completely ignore that there is a franchise attached to this because um, I don't I don't really need any of these, uh, those other movies um, because this one this one handles a lot of big themes and big ideas really well, even, you know, 50 years later. The movie is not entirely fair to the doctors, which is okay. You know, the, yeah. the movie can have a point of view and, and that, that's all fine. The doctors, of course, don't see what Chris sees and we do. So we're on her side and right. we think they're jerks. And, and they are to some extent. 
Um, but of course, if you were a doctor, would you go, oh, well, well this, this young girl is, is possessed by the devil. That's obvious. And we, <laughs> we, we need to call up an exorcist. No, they don't know what movie they're that. in. They don't. They, right. Exactly. They don't know that they're in the, a movie called The Exorcist. Well, they spent so, all that time in the desert. so <laughs> <laughs> That's right. They missed that part. You could even argue that what's going on here is one of these science faith things, right? Where like ultimately... If, if this is one of the points here is that they they are fully committed to science and viewing things through a scientific lens. And that means they're not capable of understanding what's going on because this is a spiritual thing that's going on. And maybe that's a sickness. I, you know, again, I, I don't know enough about the, the, the author and the book, but like this has got a lot of Catholic stuff in it. I, I think you could make the argument that that's what one of the things this movie is saying is like, well, they've lost the plot because they aren't even considering uh, questions of religion here they're only considering questions of science yeah there are more things in heaven and earth mm. but but you know the and i think uh you know, what what you were just getting to, i think the the whole scene the scenes of the angiogram or whatever it was where she gets the needle into the carotid artery and all, and all of that uh, imaging is done i think that that hits us maybe a little bit differently 50 years later because although as brian said an mri is a horrible thing and very noisy and and lots of the imaging techniques are, are terrible now they aren't as they were worse back then and yeah. we might look at that <laughs> as being somewhat primitive but in 1973 that's going to look like the peak of science mm. And science. so we've got we've got the the contrast between the peak of science and northern Iraq and charms and exorcisms and things like that. Right. We also have a contrast, which was where Moises was going, uh, was you know how Reagan is treated and how Mrs. Karras is treated. Right. You know, that the horrible scene, the worst scene in this movie, is when. Damien and, uh, and his uncle go see her in... The institution. Yes. Yeah. God, it's awful. It, mm -hmm. it, that is more horrifying than anything, than Linda Blair's head turning around mm -hmm. or the pea soup. And, and there it is, you know, now we're seeing two different sides of, of science. And one of them is... Neither of them are helping the person <laughs> you know, that, that that they need to help. One of them is doing the best that they, that could be done at the time, and and the other one certainly is not. Is is essentially medieval. The priest Jason Miller, um, as uh, as Father Doctor Karras, um, is our other kind of like viewpoint character here. And and yeah, his mom is dying. She's in the institution, and there's that scene where his uncle <laughs> basically says. This would have all worked out better if you had taken all that fancy book learning of yours and been a rich psychiatrist instead of working for the church. And it's like, yep. thanks, now's thanks, not uncle. the time, uncle. Thanks, pal. <laughs> oh, my goodness. But he's a really interesting character. I like the performance. I like the character. He is this, right? Because he's, and he explains um, that he was, that it was not a doctor who became a priest. He's a priest who was sent to Harvard you know, and, and, and like trained as a psychiatrist and works at Georgetown. And so he's a, he is a really interesting combination of science and faith, but he is grappling with the uh, horrible illness and then ultimately death of his mother. And, 
as this is all going on in the background. And I think that it's all really, his story is really compelling too. My favorite, my favorite moment is where he has that vision of her and, and she's like going down into the subway. That's creepy. Um, oh man. Oh, and, and all like, the sleep noises in the background. Subway so as good. underworld. Uh, and I, I was nodding. I was like, yes, the subway is like the underworld. It <laughs> is not that bad. <laughs> it's like, hey, 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 no. hey, let, hold on. Hey, mass transit gets bad rap. It's like that. Jason. What what you're saying that New York subway might be uh hell? Oh, I mean, I mean yeah, maybe in the 70s. Maybe absolutely. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, yeah, the fact that yeah. um the fact that Karis has like one foot in psychiatry and one foot in religion, I think makes him a, a particularly maybe almost too conveniently good uh protagonist for this particular situation. Uh, you know, where he has to come in and make the determination of what he's really seeing with Reagan. Um, uh, but another thing I think that's interesting about that sort of dichotomy between the 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 peak of science, as you say, and uh, and religion is that the church at, at that point has reached the point where they're just like even they're like I don't know, exorcism's dumb. It's all science. Yeah, <laughs> we understand why people have these spasms and and seizures yeah. and things now. And so, like the exorcism has been kind of shunted away into the closet, and we don't really talk I, about. I like exorcism. that because that's what it really is in the real world. So I like that he says, no, 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 no. Those were like schizophrenics and other people with serious mental problems, and we used to say that they had demons in them, but we don't do that anymore. At which point, you know, Max von Sydow is like, not so fast. <laughs> Hold on a minute. And on on the third side of the coin, one of the cultural effects of this film was that, you know, even though something like that is said in the movie and reasonable people can, you know, bookmark it and go, oh, yeah, that's right. Um, people looked at this movie uh, and Tourette's wasn't mentioned, by the way. Um, um, and Tourette's one of the yeah. one of the one of the things that resulted in a lot of people calling in for exorcisms because their kid is possessed or whatever. Um, and, and so people took this as a cultural artifact and 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 very much took the wrong lesson about it of you know what maybe that demon possession thing is more of a thing sure so let's bring that back let's uh, let's idea. make it fashionable again great idea man that sunset is gorgeous grill patio sunset hard to get better than that unless you're browsing carvana's inventory while you soak it all in oh burger time so sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. One of my favorite things about modern horror movies is that they all have to come up with a creative reason why the main character can't just use their cell phone to call the police or call someone else. Mm -hmm. And I feel like all these scenes with the doctors and the dichotomy between faith and science is kind of the 1973 equivalent of that, where we uh, have Ellen Burstein exhausting every single option before turning to faith. A poorer person would have turned to faith much sooner than she did. Or I guess in the other metaphor, someone who's locked away in a cabin in the woods with no other resources would have turned to exorcism and faith and religion mm. much sooner. I also like the fact that Karis is a foil for the mom because he is having a crisis of faith because of, you know, everything he's going through and moving away from faith towards science. Ellen Burstein has been so burned by science that she's moving to religion. They meet in the exact middle together. That's why they go on this journey together. Mm -hmm. Brian, I love the way that you describe that because it perfectly illustrates the coming together of the team for the Satan heist. 
<laughs> because it, it requires Nick Fury recruits him into the God Avengers. It, yes, no, no. Seriously, like you've you've got you've got uh, you've got your ringer who comes in at the end, who is the one who who brings all the pieces together uh, when it's time. And without Chris, you know, linking the pieces together, and Father Karras, you know, being proven right and wrong about different things. I, I'm, I'm telling you, it's uh, it's the Satan heist. That's so are you saying that is. Reagan's the inside man? Yes, exactly. Uh, I mean, no, well, I guess the demon is the, the devil's inside, inside man. man. <laughs> well, eventually the demon the... comes out and Reagan's cool. inside. That's that's true. <laughs> what about the cop? Can we talk? So, so the cop, the 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 detective, he has that whole conversation with. Uh, he just wants someone to see a movie with. That's all he wants. Well, that's I mean, that, that is true. He does want that. He has the whole conversation with Karis, um, because he's trying to figure out this case of the the guy the the director who thinks that the butler is a nazi uh gets his head twisted around and thrown out a window and down down the stairs which now have a plaque calling them the exorcist stairs if you ever go to dc you can see it and we never considered that the nazi might have done it that's the strange thing uh, uh, right but but i think it's weird because i mean i think that character exists primarily to give karis somebody to talk to but I I was expecting that character to go places like to put pressure on like maybe your daughter is a murderer and she's not and like oh, but no you don't understand and like he never really does any of that he's he he, he I was surprised I, I I the 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 detective doesn't end up being that important I think no he's kind of wasted space really um although he does he's I think the reason that he's not putting that pressure on is I think when he says that he thinks it's a some sort of a witchcraft, you know, dark cult thing that's going mm. on because of the desecrations in the churches as well. I think he's being honest about that. I think he's really he really considers it to be something that's going on in that in right. that that respect. I kind of dig him as 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 like a prop for Chris where he is helping her put stuff together and yeah. and he doesn't mm. really need to bring in some copley wisdom or something. Right, he's really the catalyst for her realizing that Reagan was probably the one who pushed the, the director out <laughs> the window. True. Before that, she doesn't even even put that together. Right. So he's he's a plot catalyst more than anything else. But I think he, we maybe spend a little more time with him than we need to because yeah. he's kind of a he's interesting. Guy. I just I expect you you end up with a guy investigating the murder or the death to be like more integral at that point and the movie is not interested and i'm fine with it not being interested i just thought it was interesting that you you introduce this character and you're like oh what's he gonna do and the answer is just talk to the two main characters for a while that's it yeah it's oh, it's like oh look it's lee j cobb oh what's yeah. lee j cobb gonna do oh he's gonna show up and not really be that important okay <laughs> it's a waste of lee j cobb it is it it, it uh, but, I, uh, but i'd say, I, and, and, I'd say it's know, genius it, because it's a waste of him <laughs> well in misdirection i suppose yeah oh this, yeah there this, you as, go. as you were saying you know this is going to be important no not no, really not so much I, I was trying to remember because it's been a long because it's been a long time since I, i've seen the movie i was trying to remember whether he got killed whether she killed him and I was kind of disappointed when she didn't. Nope. <laughs> he, he makes it. He, yeah. It seems like a lot of cops in these horror movies are super ineffective where they're just kind of like there to move along like one little plot point. Because mm. otherwise, if you give them too much power, then it becomes a cop movie. And so you're right. like, ah, eh, you're just yeah. going to need to just just kind of mull around in the background, ask some questions and then just conveniently disappear while all the crime happens. Exactly. It's the reason why modern movies can't use a phone. Exactly. Yeah. I think yeah. he may be partially there to tie up the plot point. That uh, at the end, 
the the big hole in the plot, which is like, why have none of these people been arrested and taken to jail? Because multiple people have died on these stairs. Right. Uh, but he's seen just enough that he's like, he kind of is aware that something supernatural has gone on and he's mm. able to just sort of close the case and walk away from it. Yep. Forget it. It's Georgetown. It's, it's, it's vomit town. <laughs> The, the, the phone, the phone was mentioned about 90 minutes in the phone ringing is, is one of the jump scares that gets oh, yeah. me. Oh my gosh, every me time. too. That's what I wrote to he's listening to the like... creepy tape at that moment, which yeah, yeah, that is always the something scariest that part. I totally jumped. <laughs> yeah. The like backmasking tape and all of that. God, I mean, who, who calls people on the phone? Yeah. God. Right, Especially as a kid, right? because all of that, you know, backwards lyrics and music and all that stuff was going on at that point mm -hmm. with, uh, you know, Robert K. Dornan making a huge deal about it and, and talking about how he was you know, Satanism in rock because they're putting backwards messages on records. And I always found that so creepy and, and effective. So when I used to watch this as a kid, that was the thing that always nailed me. Yeah. And that scene that's shot backward where she's talking and moving and it's just all very un, it's surreal and, and unnatural and creepy, um, mm. which I suppose brings us to the other part of the movie then, which is after we wrestle with our faith a little bit and we wonder about the medical system and we wonder why this detective is here and things like that. Um, then things just kind of explode, um, especially the projectile vomit part. And we get the, this other portion of the movie, which is, um, very clearly this girl is possessed. She is saying terrible things. She is doing terrible things. And, uh, they ultimately have the, you know, after a brief sort of like, well, there's a big Vatican bureaucracy involved. They do ultimately go to the archbishop or whatever, get the experienced ex exorcist to come, and they're gonna figure it out. Although, when Max von Sydow gets there, I um I was charmed by a little character moment for Karis, where he's trying to run through essentially his psychiatric diagnosis to 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 Max von Sydow. He's like, you know, multiple personalities manifesting. I think maybe three, and he just says, "There is only one." <laughs> There's also a bit slightly earlier, which may only be in the director's cut, where he 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 as Marin first shows up, he says, "Should I run over the details of the case with you?" And and Marin just looks at him and says, "Why?" Yeah, yeah. Yes. Okay, that's, no, yeah, that's, that's in there. That's, that's in okay, the original. It's in the theatrical. Yeah. It's, it's it's very much it's great. It's very much like Karis going, Oh, well, there are three it's a three tumbler lock system. Doesn't matter if we're going to use a drill. Well, like, it, well and it's also <laughs> let me tell you about my psych psychiatric analysis from science. And he's like, uh -uh, enough nah, with bro. the science. We're nah. not here for that. Your science has failed, my friend. It's time to move on to the next stage. And so she's doing terrible things. They get there and they're doing their, you know, they're from the ritual and they're spitting in the face and barking and roaring and the bed is bumping and there's like flashes where you see sort of monstrous figures and she has a long tongue and there's more green vomit ooze and the doors and the walls and the ceiling are smashed and her head spins around and she floats and the power of Christ compels you and more and more. It's this super intense center of the movie the exorcism and it's uh, really well done and super intense and interesting and creepy um and i also really like at the end uh it ends with max von Sydow looking at karis and being like you tired we'll take a break before we do this again and you're like again it's like yeah <laughs> yeah this is gonna keep going i guess this is stage one because the remember the africa exorcism took weeks weeks yeah weeks yeah. The lead into this, I mean, when when the fog shot rolls in, the, the famous fog shot that's been the cover of it on VHS and DVD and posters galore and everything, you know, th there's like this exposure <laughs> shift. Everything looks different. 
Sorry, because you know, bells. this is <laughs> fifty years ago. You know, we we uh, we had to do everything in camera uh, to to achieve a particular look. It's it's a great example in this era of wonderful HDR remasters of things. Like you really you really see um, everything that went into dialing in the visual look of things and how Friedkin wanted things to look and feel completely different, even though you're, you're in the exact same environments that you've been in for most of the running time up until now for this last half hour when the roller coaster really starts. Um, it, it's, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's weird and garish and awful and beautiful all at the same time. Yeah. And, the, and, and bold, I think one of the things that struck me about this, having not seen it before is, and I see why people and audiences would react this way is there is no holding back when the demon is behaving the way it is. It says awful things. It does awful things. Uh, it's, it stabs, uh, the girl in her vagina with a cross. <laughs> um, there yeah, is that's kind of the worst scene for me, right? Personally. <laughs> Uh, I don't have a problem with it personally. She's okay. <laughs> that's uh, awful. The projectile vomiting, but that's also not, the, that's also not how the you words. do that. The, <laughs> oh, it's the technique that bothers you. Yeah, it's the uh, technique. Yeah. Uh, that's just not going to be very good. Like that's the part that really kind of gets me, and 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 I'm impressed by it because it's like, no, it's awful. We're not gonna. This is the part where it, where it's awful, <laughs> and and it is in all those ways. Plus that color of the of the projectile vomit is yes spectacular. The Exorcist is transgressive in a way that like reaches 50 years through time to people who are watching it today for the first time and being like, oh, wow, this is genuinely terrifying. Yeah. The Exorcist didn't set a new bar for what movies like this can do. It is like the maximum that movies like this can do. The daughter saying terrible things and the practical effects are so freaking terrifying. The new Exorcist movies in theaters right now, and I just went to see it in theaters last week. It was a bad movie, but the demon in that movie reprises the phrase your C word daughter and watching that I was like oh god you use that word oh wait no that was in the movie 50 years. why do I have yeah. why do I have such cognitive dissonance because this movie feels like it exists outside of any sort of cultural norms of the last 50 years well the thing that's amazing to me is that this movie has the nastiness that it does in it and was up for best picture yeah uh, which yeah. tells you how effective, you know, the the supporting scenes and all the stuff leading up to this Isn't is. Isn't it even like put into the National Archives? Like, I think so. It yeah, might be, yeah. Culturally yeah, relevant. Yeah, it's like yeah. it's got its little special place out and the, there. The screenplay, nominated for lots of Oscars and won for Best uh, Adapted Screenplay. So yeah, absolutely. And it lost to The Sting, I think, for Best Picture. So well, Although it did win yeah. a couple for uh, Adapted Screenplay and some, something else, a sound design or something, I think. Yeah, Adapted sc Screenplay was a win. For, it's for very weird that it doesn't seem cheap and exploitative mm -hmm. somehow. Which is amazing because it's super cheap and super exploitative. In, in it is. It has everything in it that would be that. And yet it's, you know, there's artistry to it. And, and, it, and it seems like a good movie because it is. Mm. Yeah. The stunt where he dives out the window and goes down those steps, which just have a thin layer of rubber adhered to them. Uh, is is one of the is one of the great stunts in cinema history that um, you know it 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 is a crying shame that there has never been an Academy Award for stunt work um, and uh, and it, you you watch that and you know yeah there are some cuts away but that is that is a dude tumbling down all of those actual steps it's Bond like I mean a bunch of the actors got hurt 
doing this Big too. Mm-hmm. I was reading oh, all yeah. about it. Like they Cursed have movie. permanent yeah. damage and all kinds of stuff just from, you know, the falls and stuff that they would take that actually ended up as scenes in the movies. El Friedkin movie. was not a gentle director as it turned out either. I, I think uh, the reason you see actual shock in the face of uh, Jason Miller in the scene where the projectile vomit hits him in the face is that they rehearsed it with him hitting him in the chest. Uh-huh. But Friedkin said, no, we're going to shoot him right in the face. It's going to go right in his mouth and we're going to get the legit reaction of that. This is the so, era of like Kubrick and Ridley Scott doing the exact same kind of thing. Uh-huh. The most violent looking stunt in the movie is the one that was performed the safest and resulted in the least injuries. And ones that, I mean, involved the 14 year old thrashing around and everything. You know, she injured herself six ways from Sunday, just committing to the bit um, harder and harder. And, you know, it, welcome to the 1970s. Yeah, Jason, you talk about, uh, you know, how just over the top the, the end um, exorcism is. But it does ramp up over time. And I, yeah. I think that's actually the most effective thing about this uh, This as a horror film uh, is the fact that pretty much every time you walk up to that door and you go into the room, something worse is going to be in there. Yeah. <laughs> it's still the same 14-year-old girl, but something much, much worse than the last time is going to be there. Uh, right. it- so you just dread it every time you approach that door. Uh, third floor that third floor bedroom and uh it's it's super super effective as just a way to creep you out this that approach to that room yeah i think he shoots the door the same way every time and it's and your reaction is well what's it going to be this time when the door opens i just gotta say she's 12 she's 12 yeah which is even worse yeah 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 Yeah, well karis at the end there when uh when Max Monsato is in the bathroom taking his magic pills, trying not to die. <laughs> um, he goes in and and remember he said like, "Don't listen to it, don't talk to it." Um, but he he sees his mother. It speaks to him as his mother, and that's like his uh, his weak point that's being used there. And uh, and that's that was really chilling too to bring it back to the to the mother and Max Monsato. I was like, "Don't you know don't one one laugh that that I get from this sequence is." Um, so going into this, um, Father Karras gets this list of stuff from Father Marin that, that he needs and everything, the purple stole and the holy water, all that kind of stuff. Um, and part of the way through, uh, he takes the purple stole off and, and dabs up a bunch of the pea soup and just hands it to Father Karras. Yeah. <laughs> like here, deal with this. And the look on Father Karras's face was, you couldn't have told me to also bring wet naps or something? Uh, okay. And then he goes <laughs> in dutifully, washes it off um, yeah. as, as if he sink. was supposed to know this. You know, you want complimentary like colors for your pea soup bar. <laughs> it, yeah, it just, it really be, popped. It's a good match. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, that, that, that little bit really of... Uh, that, Green that, and purple little, will go great together. Yeah. I mean, well, you could say great or horribly. Uh, <laughs> either thing would be true. In reference to um, the fact that the demon is kind of playing on uh, on Karis's particular issues, um, I actually do recommend the director's cut. I had not seen it prior to this. Uh, I had seen the theatrical cut many, many times. Um, but what it adds, I think, is very interesting context, uh, particularly if you're interested in Blatty's original vision for it. I, I think the decisions that Friedkin made were, were smart ones, but... Um, among the things that uh, that do show up in the in the director's cut is there's a, a sequence when they're taking the break from the exorcism um, where Karis actually asks uh, Marin, you know, why this girl? And Marin's response is, 
he doesn't care about the girl he's trying to get to us through her mm. and basically the whole point of this whole thing is to make us despair and view ourselves as disgusting animals which i think is a very interesting spin on on the whole thing uh and also goes a long ways towards explaining why you know that the most of what the demon does is try to screw with everybody else right it doesn't seem particularly concerned with reagan at all it's she's just a vessel right that's really and I didn't want to sound completely down on the on the extended cut as like not worth watching. But if you're watching it for the first time, the theatrical cut's the way to go. The extended cut, I think, it, to, to Steve's point, does add some interesting context. And it's something that if you really do enjoy, um, however you want to interpret that word relative to this movie, uh, the theatrical cut, it, it, it does add those additional layers of things that I don't think you would get if you just had like the, the cut footages, deleted scenes in, in an extras field or something. When we're almost right at the very end, there's that moment where Ellen Burstyn as the mom, Chris says to Karis, is she going to die? And his response is great. His response is no. He's very certain. He's like, no, she's not going to die, which is, I thought really interesting. And then we end up with our last moments up there in the, in where where we find that uh Max and Sido is dead um and he is basically like fighting and wrestling with the demon in the girl's body um and essentially at that point says take me uh basically possess me and then the idea is then he will leap out the window and down the steps and die and that will that will save the girl and he's his friend is gives him the last rites at the bottom of the stairs and the girl is crying now because she's no longer possessed. And, and that, that's how the movie ends more or less. And the father, you know, who gives the last rites comes and says goodbye. And the girl, um, sees his priest collar and gives him a kiss on the cheek and hands him the, the medal that was ripped off of the, the neck of, of, uh, of Karis, uh, in order to allow the, the demon to possess him. Um, and so in the end, after all this buildup, what we get is uh, Max von Sydow dies of a heart attack and our our hero sort of decides, I'm going to solve this by letting it, uh, uh, letting it possess me and then I'm going to kill myself. I'm curious what you all think of this as an ending because it's not what I was expecting. It's rather abrupt. And I mean, I do kind of find it unsatisfying, but I think it's interesting. I like being released by the movie to just... <laughs> Okay, you've been through a lot. Go take a walk. We're done. No, I mean, that, that's what it's we're set, done. <laughs> that's what it feels to me. Is like the movie is like. I mean, what I wrote down in my notes is it feels like a writer who couldn't think of an ending and needed to end it. So he's like, and then this guy dies, and that guy dies, and and everything's fine. The end. And it was like, okay, like it's a great ride, but when it gets to the end, it felt a bit perfunctory for me. Like sort of like, well, we're done, <laughs> right? We're done here. I, I get, Go I get home. that. I, I guess, I guess what I'm getting at is like, as as abrupt as it feels, I'm much prefer this to three additional endings. Things, sure which 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 is the the um so but, but what, what else like, is there to they to could talk like about? exercise the demon and be relieved or one of them could but it just feels like oh the old man the old man died and he's gonna jump out the window and sacrifice himself and it's the end and like i don't know but that, anyway that's uh, oh i i know jason bring the cop back in give the cop something to oh do. <laughs> well the cop shoots well, i guess a the, bunch of people died the, no actually that's what it would be right in the bad version in the very bad version of yes. this movie is that the demon would exactly. be possessed walk down the stairs to kill the mom the cop is downstairs shoots the priest who as he's dying is like thank you for freeing me the end and i don't want to see that movie it's fine 
the one thing that kind of made it okay for me was that there was that line where um the possessed demon was like i'm not gonna leave her i'm not gonna leave regan alone until she's dead right rotting in the grave yeah yeah so then that kind of makes sense that like all right that's a way to get rid of him and i guess that's what karis kind of like picked up on chucked himself out the window but um i was kind of actually okay with it i forgot that that's how it ended after seeing it i saw it in the um, like the remake the remastered version in the theater um a thousand years ago and maybe not a thousand i don't know 10 years 20 years 20 years oh my god no you're right it was a thousand years ago when that was (laughs) it was one thousand years ago today tiff shut up you guys um okay so uh but no i actually i i agree that it's kind of like a release essentially of like all right we went through all of this you saw this whole thing and now it just that's the way it ends because like you don't want to draw out the ending. I don't know. You don't want to. What are you going to see the demon float up into the air? I don't. I don't know. I don't even know I, how it even got in this house in the first place. I find it very satisfying, and I think that the level to which you are satisfied with it is, I think, how invested you are in Karis's particular journey in this movie, because this is really the culmination of his questioning his faith and his guilt at the death of his mother. Because that's at the moment when when he's asked, you know, if if Regan is going to die. And he says no forcefully is right when he's at, you know, his worst moment and he's been, you know, talked to as his mother by the demon. Uh, And that's when he resolves, you know, no, I'm not going to stand by and let somebody else die. So he heads up and, and does, you know, the, the, he, he sacrifices himself and he's, he's clearly, you know, completely regained his faith in God at that point um, to the point where when Father Dyer approaches and asks if he wants confession and the only thing he can do is squeeze his hand, it, I find that all very touching. Mm-hmm. Um, mm, so agree. there's, I, I, I agree it's abrupt. Uh, I think maybe some of that is coloration from 50 years of interim horror movies where this sort of thing happens a lot. Uh, in 73, I think it probably played a little more uniquely, but I, for me, it works very well. I almost want the stakes to be amped up a little bit. If my if Max von Sydow is going to die of a heart attack, basically in the middle of all of this, I I don't know. I expected a little more of a like Karis trying to do it himself kind of thing. And I mean, it happens, but it happens very quickly. And the truth right. is, yeah, maybe that's the perspective of fifty years later, where there's a lot of stuff that happens in this movie in the last hour that happens very quickly. Where uh, I think a modern movie would probably have taken more of the interim steps, and the movie just leaps to the next step immediately because it's it's motoring to the end of the end of the movie at this point. But sure. I mean, between the two steps of of the the heart attack and jumping out the window, he does like beat the living crap out of a 12 year old. So I mean, (laughs) how much more do you want Jason? (laughs) I will beat the demon out of you. The part that's a little bit unsatisfying about it. I I think the way it ends is right. I think, you know, him taking the demon into him is right. But I don't think we're given enough information. How does he know how to do that? Right, it's priestly instinct. It seems to come it's, out of nowhere, right? Yeah, that that's the thing that's. I, I think uh, what during, happened. Uh, here, here's what happened: the yeah. the power of Christ compelled him. Uh, that's in well, the, the appendix well, of the his, ritual. Um, I think his uh, his medallion fell off. So um, I was assuming that the medallion was some sort of like ward or protection. protection. Right. Well, and that's why it doesn't jump back into her because she's holding it. But the thing is, you know, when when he tells Chris, you know, no, she's not going to die. It's like. It's like he has a plan, and he's or he he's he's determined that that what happened to his mom is not going to happen to Reagan. Okay, that's fine. But 
it kind of happens by, by 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 magic and i should i should should i care about yeah. that in this movie no i <laughs> no. shouldn't i suppose no you shouldn't a I mean, 2023 it, movie like the current exorcist movie would over explain that rule and that magic too much and it would ruin the moment which is exactly what the new exorcist movie do, does so mm, i feel mm. good about letting it kind of lie well, I do. Th- I do think that you know, as we talked at the be- at the beginning about the-, the momentum of the movie, and it starts really slow, and then it just and then it just goes hell for leather a- at the end. I th- I think this is part of that, and then you know he crashes through the window. That's you know this this movie car is going super oh, fast. Stop taking then, your time about things now. <laughs> th- then it, then it has a crash, you know, and and it ends. And right, that th- that. Yeah works the whole movie is going out the window with the priest there that's what's happening yeah. i mean I, I really agree with brian that like newer movies tend to over explain stuff yeah. and tie up ends way too much i feel like this leaves a lot of questions and that's kind of refreshing i mean i guess it was mm-hmm. of the time but for you know watching it now it really feels like at first i'm mad at it for not tying up all the loose ends and then i'm like actually you know what we don't need to know everything well, i think this is kind of good this is going to be seem weird but what i wanted to say is that um screenplays are a little modern screenplays are too efficient in that if anything gets mentioned in a modern screenplay it's because it has a reason to be there which is actually kind of crushing right it's the idea of like oh we'll we'll insert a scene earlier in the movie where he learns that he could also uh take you know take the demon onto himself and kill it that way and and then and then later we'll pay that off and it's like well okay but you just gave it away by doing that and it, Blame it, it, off. it's yeah. better <laughs> it's better to actually <laughs> just sort of let off. it be there or as we were talking about the the detective like in a modern screenplay the detective would be essential right like oh well the te- detective needs to be there because of these things that lead to the and in this movie it's like no he doesn't need to be there he's yeah. useful for him to be there but the plot doesn't require him to be there and that's what i mean by um, modern movies just being kind of overly efficient to the point where if anything happens you know it happens for a reason which is kind of uh-huh. soul crushing you, you get that template based lantern hanging where like the detective furniture moving service comes in to go, here we yeah. go. Don't this lose is your medallion. Put this over here. It protects yeah. you from possession. And if you were to <laughs> there's, lose there's, it, it could possess you. Well, glad thing I'm not going to lose it. Well, it's going to lose it. <laughs> and there's, you know. there's a, and there's a terrible last minute note to the VFX team of, no, we want the gleam on the medallion to be just so, so that we make sure that we really underline it to the audience that that's important. Um, I mean, the, the movie historically, it falls just before Jaws, just before the blockbuster era where there are movies that come out and without the lantern hanging studios go, well, could we do a Jaws 2? Could we do an Exorcist 2, but twice, uh, which they did. Um, and, and it's an afterthought and it's not something that the movies were built with. And you, you see a complete uh, house cleaning of the creatives who are actually putting the movie together because the executives who hold the rights to make a sequel of a thing are like, well, how can we paste something together and reverse engineer it out of the pieces that we have? And I, I think the failure of both Exorcist 2s and the very recent, um, you know, uh, reboot call or whatever you uh, portmanteau you want to call it, um, like uh, the the reason that they didn't all work is because, I mean, the, this one pretty much did it. It's, you know, uh, rough edges in certain places or things that don't feel perfect. It, it's imperfections are what to me make it a great film um, where you don't have to tie everything up. It is a it is a film of its time, and I mean it as a compliment rather than everything about this movie is creaky. Some of the horrible, horrible things 
that uh, that that Reagan says under demonic possession, uh, horrible slurs. I'm perfectly fine with that coming out of the mouth of Satan um, rather than being used as pejoratives or, uh, you know, it it just likes dirty talk. It's fine. Yeah, that that demon just (laughs) just likes all the most filthy, horrible, knows that it upsets again, knows it upsets the people around it, which is why it does it, It, because that's the whole point. 50 year old, a 50 year old movie where all of the raw language it's bad. But to to delete it from the movie is like saying, well, you can't have bad uh, guys or villains doing bad things. Um, it, it, none of it, none of it is, uh, you know, historically, generationally. Oh, that didn't age well. Uh, it was it, it was bad, and they put it in in the mouth of the prime evil. Yeah, I think it aged too well because it still really gets under my skin every time I watch this movie. Yeah, well, I mean, it just proves its greatness. I think. I, I, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> few things i love about that last scene uh one is that uh marin sends karis out to cool down and dies while he's out in the hallway so we don't actually see the marin death but karis comes in and discovers immediately that he has once again not been present for the death of somebody close to him right (laughs) which may be the thing that finally pushes him to beat the hell out of a, a 14 year old um I I love the fact that uh, Karis is briefly, clearly possessed. He gets the spooky eyes. Yep. But before jumping out the window, uh, it passes and he's back to looking normal. Uh, and the question, of course, in your mind is always, oh, did the demon get away? Is it back in Regan or did he just overcome it? And, uh, you know, just in time to to dive out the window instead of strangling the little girl. So that's fun in 73. Um and then lastly, um, something that I had not noticed before, but did this time, um, when Chris enters the room and Reagan is lying there crying for her mother and just legitimately crying and sounding like a little girl again, it takes a very long time for Chris to go over there <laughs> because she is clearly not convinced uh, that, that, that anything has been fixed. Uh, it's a trick. Yeah. So I don't know. I think that, that it's, as you say, abrupt, but there's a lot of good in that, that, that final scene. I want to talk about lighting. Every time I watch the exorcism scene, I think about the two fluorescent, like ice cold lights to the left and right of Reagan. And then the light coming from the bathroom just off to the left of the bed. And as the scene goes on, so much is changing around the bed. The door cracks open, the ceiling cracks and all those different things happen. But the lights are always there. And I think a modern movie would have had Karis and Max von Sydow come in and turn off those lights, light a bunch of candles, set the mood, get it extra creepy. The super harsh fluorescent lamps really ground it as this is just a regular ass room. This is just a place where a kid is sleeping Mm -hmm. and trying to heal from a sickness. And then the two big shifts that happen for the lighting for me are one, when Reagan elevates out of the bed, levitates out of the bed, we see this overhead shot of the, of her arms covering those lights and this kind of heavenly, horrible light shining from behind her. And that one context change, make those lights change from a normal light that you would see in any kid's bedroom to be the exact same quality of light that you see in like Christian stained glass windows in churches and things like that. It's very, very creepy to me that the one shift there makes that big change. And then of course, really ethereal, exactly ethereal. It's a great word for it. And then the other big jump scare for me is when the light suddenly shifts 90 degrees coming from the window, as we see the statue and the demon and all those oh. things happen. That's when I thought, Oh God, oh, yeah. because of the lighting shift in there. Mm-hmm. 
Also, I should at least mention the music and the tubular bells, um, which honestly, it started to play. And it was another one of those moments where I thought, oh, that's what everybody is referencing when they play the tubular, <laughs> tubular bells in other things is they're referencing this. This is the original of that. barely in here. When yeah. I, I was just listening for it times. this time and it's only in like two, three scenes. There's not a lot of Isn't music in the very movie? beginning when it's like Halloween and she's like walking down the street all happy yeah. and nice. And I'm yeah. like, wait, this doesn't feel right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, one little tag on uh, what Brian just said about the lighting made me think of is that I, I mentioned, you know, the practical effects and they did all this stuff in camera. Um, and... I think this movie is great because practically what they did in it visually informed so much of the best digital effects that would come in generations to come. Um, it is it is such a masterclass of just dealing with you've got lights in a room. Um, where are you angling them? What kind of lights are you are you using in a different place? How much fog are you using? Are you using more fog than you probably should? Yeah, sure. Why not? It looks great. Um, I, I think that 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 is something that as much as people look at the jump scares and the things that have only been mimicked and not topped in terms of the story beats um one of the biggest legacies of this movie is its visual palette and and how looking at those subtle changes that can have huge effects has um has affected all of the um all of the horror movies that have that have come since i mean even the room itself was actually refrigerated which is yeah, right like that's yeah. crazy that you know all of this was actually physically done they didn't rely on anything else and it just that's why it ages so well because it's actually real like the breath and everything it's it's really it was there. Not painted yeah what i no, saw was that they could only shoot about five scenes a day in that room so that it took them a long time to shoot that climax yeah. but they it is effective three minutes at a time <laughs> because the lighting would heat it yeah. up too much uh, super super effective it really is um, okay. Final thoughts before we go. I just wanted to say, uh, it's a good movie. I didn't, after the first half hour, I was like, what am I watching? And then very, like I said, very abruptly, it gets to it. And I think, oh, okay. All right, here we go. And, uh, I think it's very effective. Like I said, I think the end is a little perfunctory. It doesn't really change my feelings about the movie. It does feel like the movie sort of saying, okay, I'm done. Uh, but that's okay. Cause what comes before is, um, not, you know, again, it, 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 I never rolled my eyes and thought, well, that's a cheap, you know, that's a cheap way to scare people or that's a, like, it, it is disturbing in a lot of ways that I thought was really effective. Um, you know, less scary than, I don't know, disturbing it's, and weird. It's a shocker and, more, it's a shocker more than a screamer. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, uh, I was, uh, I was real impressed. I liked it. So, Hey, 50 years later, I give it a thumbs up. How did everybody else feel one last time before we, uh, we wrap it up? Uh, I'll, I'll go around Dr. Drang. Well, I, I think, uh, obviously I, I liked it a lot. Uh, and also as almost everyone has said here, you recognize and especially jason who'd never seen it before you know oh that oh that was a reference to this oh that other thing that i saw was a reference to this if uh, none of you are old enough to have seen it when it originally aired but there is the saturday night live sketch with richard pryor as the priest and lorraine newman as uh, as reagan and if you haven't seen it go on youtube and 
look at look at it. Now it was done in 1975, the first year of Saturday Night Live. It's two years after the movie has come uh-huh. out, and they're still doing a sketch about it <laughs> because ever because it was s- such an impressive thing, and everybody still you know this topical comedy show was was doing a, a parody of a movie that was two years old. It's fantastic, and it has possibly the greatest line ever which is your mother sews socks that smell <laughs> it's a masterclass in sketch writing it is a it is a yeah. classic moises final thoughts um uh, something i haven't gotten into I, I touched on a little bit was you know the the themes of faith and um i think the the push pull between friedkin and blatty um created an interesting way in for people on all sides of the faith equation, whether it is a thing for you, whether it is not a thing for you, there are inroads regardless of what your worldview is. Um, I like that there are a bunch of priests in the movie and we don't have to know every single one of their names. There's one guy uncredited just playing a piano at the party. He's Father Billy Joel to me. Um, And we don't need to know everything about Father Billy Joel. He's just an obnoxious priest who's playing a piano at one point. We never see him again. No, he's um, he's all throughout the movie. That's Father Dyer. That's wait, Dyer. that that's Father Dyer. I yeah. thought that was. Yep. Uh, uh, see, uh, for me, uh, they they all look so much alike. I don't. <laughs> I, I I don't care. Some um, of my like, best I, friends are priests. Moises. Yeah. <laughs> well, look, they they all they dress them all the same for a reason. <laughs> there you go. White white guys white guys in uh, in white collars. Uh, they all look alike. White collar crime. Um. Steve Lutz, final thoughts? Hey! Hey! How's it going, Jason? Uh, Obviously, I love this movie. Uh, I've loved it since um, we had a VHS copy that was taped off of TV, and I'm not sure why it it wasn't only five minutes long, but I think most of the movie was in there. (laughs) Watched that a lot as a kid. Um, You know, that it's... With a movie that's 50 years old, that's... Particularly as a horror movie, where, you know, the, the tropes become so ingrained... And the tricks that work, you know, we've become so used to over the years. Um, always the test for me is, is this still an effective movie this much longer after it was made? Um, this, I think, is a very effective movie. Uh, I agree that it's not necessarily scary, but there's a dread that um, I think is actually worse <laughs> than uh, than jump scares and shocks. Um, you know, again, as I'd I referenced that walk to the door as just being like an utter dread in the pit of your stomach moment every time it happens. Uh, you know, it, it works great. Obviously, the, the practical effects are fantastic. Um, the cinematography is great. I think the script is great. And um, while I agree that maybe we don't need a full two hours of character development, um, I'm never bored throughout that two hours. Uh, I find it all very interesting. And, and I think that um, this film has earned its reputation and, uh, and belongs as a cultural artifact. Hmm. Um, it's great. Brian, final thoughts? Cards on the table. I'm the president of the Linda Blair fan club. To me, she and her performance of Reagan is the number one reason I come back to this movie at least once a year, every October. Um, Everything else to me, it just is in service of her in that bed with all the practical effects, with all of the incredible direction and horrible things that she's saying, script writing, all of those things just in service of that. Um, 
a friend of mine had this really, really interesting point where we were watching a bunch of horror movies and kids are creepy. But the way that movies, particularly The Omen, which is like our prime example, the way that adults writing children in horror movies ascribes children evil intents and evil things through going through their head, they are legitimately too young to have any sort of evil thoughts. Their brains are still developing. There's no way like in reality that a kid could be evil when they're that young. And that got into a whole discussion about parenting was fascinating. But for me, the fact that the exorcist lets us watch this incredible performance by a child in a way that does not play into the, this child is evil. Therefore we have to kill the child. It is a possession by the literal devil to make this as effective as it is. Uh, I think for me, for me, this is the scariest movie ever made because to your point, I would rather dread and shock than jump scares and screams anytime like this and hereditary are the two that really mess me up. And I feel like that is what makes this movie have as, as much staying power as it does because it differentiates itself from so much else about the genre by starting the genre. And Tiff, final thoughts from you? Um, I'm always intrigued by pieces of media that kind of fall into the category of becoming overanalyzed by various people, whether it's like people writing papers about it or, you know, reading very deeply into something. Like, I mean, obviously, hey, we Tiff, all... I'm right here. You can just say my name. I know. It's you. It's you. Um, but like, you know, like we all did it with Shakespeare because we're like, oh, Shakespeare classics and like all the other things. But when something like this, where it's like a horror movie from the 70s, and yet you still have, you know, feminist theories being um, discussed with it and papers being written about it and people discussing it on on various places. I just I find that so interesting that a piece of media can transcend what it originally was and become such a cultural phenomenon that people overanalyze and like read into things and like yeah all that stuff could be seen as there it wasn't intended to be there but i think that that really shows the the staying power of something like this even though it is kind of this this really messed up kind of horror movie but yet we have so much going on we could even read into you know what was going on at the time that the movie was made and how it reflects the moods of the society at the time like, it's just I, I think that that is great and not a lot of pieces of media become that and this certainly has yeah for sure well it has been uh, fun talking about this super weird creepy uh, classic movie with all of you in the uh, in October which is the time where we especially reserve for the old spooky club especially um, and thanks to everybody out there as well for listening one last time Thanks to my guests, Dr. Drang, Moises Chuyan, Tiff Armit, Brian Hamilton, and Steve Lutz. We'll be back next week with something, I'm going to just say it, a little less scary. Because how could it not be? Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>